Hey, what's up, Lake Point family? Great to see you guys this weekend. I want to welcome all of our campuses. Uh, welcome all of you that might be joining us online somewhere. Uh, my name is Mike Bro. in case we never met, and I get to be on the teaching team around this place, and so great to be with you this weekend. And man, it was so cool to see so many people last weekend take the plunge of baptism, 257 people. And what's cool about it, as people celebrated the 257 people who found new life, a bunch of people said, I want to do that too. When can I do that? So we got a bunch more coming up that are going to do that as well. Congratulations to all of you who, who did that last weekend and who are going to do that. So, so proud of you. Hey, we're, we're in this series talking about the afterlife, and if you missed the first two, I'd really encourage you to go back and check them out. Uh, Josh, as always, uh, unpacked truth with such grace and clarity and humility. You ought to check it out. And today, I'm hoping that God would just flood your soul with hope. Anybody need some of that? Uh, Florence Chadwick uh, was an accomplished swimmer. She'd already swam the, uh, swam the uh, uh, English Channel, and she was attempting to swim from a Catalina Island off the coast of California back to the mainland, and it was really, really foggy and very, very chilly on this day, and the water's super cold uh, out there. And uh, her, her mom uh, was in the boat encouraging her as she swam, and more than once she begged to be taken up out of that cold water and into the boat, but her mom kept saying, come on, keep going, you can make it, you're getting closer, you can make it. But finally, just emotionally and physically spent, uh, she was pulled up into uh, the boat. And it wasn't until she was in the boat that she discovered that the shore was less than 800 yards away. And at the news conference the next day, she said, all I could see was the fog, I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. Well, today I want to help you see the shore. Because I believe if we can see the shore, we can all make it. Now, make no mistake about it, this swim can be really, really hard, exhausting. I mean, this year alone has been super exhausting and frustrating and confusing and heartbreaking on so many fronts uh, to so many people. And you know what? Jesus told us straight up, you will have hard times. Life on this broken planet can be rough, and it can be chaotic. Can I give you some hope today? Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. Can you see the shore? See, the good news is that this world is full of injustice and disappointment and tragedy and heartbreak and pain is only our temporary home. We're only here for a little while. A guy once asked God, he said, uh, hey, God, isn't it true, like, for you, like, a thousand years is like a second? And God said, yeah, it is. And God, isn't it true, like, for you, like, I don't know, like a million dollars is like a penny? God said, absolutely. Well, God, I was wondering, uh, could I get one of your pennies? And God said, sure, just a second. <clears throat> The average U.S. life expectancy is 78.06 years. Now, let's suppose that 1,000 years is literally like a day. If you do the math, our total life converts into one hour and 52 minutes, about the length of a movie or nine holes of golf or a daily commute for some of you. Now, you take all the tough times and compare it to all the good times in that one hour and 52-minute life, and you can see the reality of what the Apostle Paul said when he said, but our light and momentary troubles 
are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is what? Eternal. When the New Testament discusses suffering, it almost always does so in light of heaven. It, it tells us to see life through the lens of, of an eternal perspective. I, I get to do a little Monday morning Bible study with a bunch of guys on my back porch. And man, we have a blast. And almost, almost all these guys have never really read the Bible before. So it's, it's super fun for me to do it. And we're going through a little book in the back of the New Testament called First Peter, which was actually a letter that was written from one of Jesus' closest followers, one of his best friends. It was written to all these persecuted Christians scattered throughout the Roman Empire. And these people, what was happening to them was very real and very, very brutal. So Peter writes them this super encouraging letter to tell them to hang in there. And he addresses them all the way through the letter as temporary residents here. Now let me show you the passage that helping all of our guys on the back patio uh, kind of navigate this crazy season. Peter writes this, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because in his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are being shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice. Though now, and here's those words again, for a little while, you may have to suffer grief of all kinds of trials. So Peter's writing these people saying, listen, don't let pandemics or politics or persecution steal your joy. You've been given a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus, because he lives forever, guess what? So will you. Your real home is waiting for you. And man, it's something else. You know, sports have been pretty much absent for most of this year. You got football trying to restart. You got baseball doing the no fans approach. You got uh, the NBA finishing up its season in the Orlando bubble. And every one of these sports has a Hall of Fame, right? There's the Basketball Hall of Fame in uh, uh, Springfield, Massachusetts. There's the uh, uh, Football Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio. There is the uh, uh, Baseball Hall of Fame. It's in Cooperstown, uh, New York. And then there are other kinds of Hall of Fame, such as uh, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in uh, Cleveland, Ohio. Then there's a Country Music Hall of Fame, which of course is in Nashville, Tennessee, right? And then you've got lesser known Hall of Fames, like the National Toy Hall of Fame in Rochester, New York. You got the Pinball Hall of Fame, in Las Vegas, Nevada, and of course, everyone's bucket list destination, the International Tow Truck Hall of Fame in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Well, did you know the Bible has a Hall of Fame too? It's found in Hebrews chapter 11, kind of in the back of the Bible. It's really less a Hall of Fame than it is like a Hall of Faith. And the adductees in this hall are not there because of impressive stats and trophies and MVP awards or huge successes. They're simply people who just trusted God. They walked by faith. And they and look, look at what it says about them in Hebrews chapter 11. All these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it from a distance and they welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they had longed for the country they came from, they could have gone back, but they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. And that is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And gang, he has for us as well. Can you see the shore? I believe our enemy 
wants to keep us focused right here. The last thing he wants is for people to have hope in their life. The last thing he wants is for us to think about the reality, the reality of a forever home. Because if he can convince us that this life is all there is, he can get us to substitute this shallow, self-sufficient, self-centered kind of life for real life. And he can get us chasing all kinds of temporary fixes that will just lead us further and further away from the deep soul satisfaction that Jesus came to give us. If he can get us, if he can keep us from think, from without think, if he can keep us from thinking with an eternal perspective, he can make us hyper competitive. He can make us envious, cause us to run over all kinds of people and be divisive and harsh with those we're supposed to love. If he can get us from thinking with an eternal perspective, if we will let this life overwhelm us and we'll start to view, live life with this fatalistic view, like life stinks and then you die. And I think this is one of the reasons Paul wrote these words from a prison cell in Colossians chapter three. He says, since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven. And that word that Paul uses there for set your, set your mind, set your hearts, it means to search, pursue, be focused, be single-minded. And that word is in the present tense, which means keep focusing there. Keep seeking things above. Keep thinking about heaven. Keep setting your heart there. Don't just have a conversation about it. Don't just read a book about it. Don't just listen to some bald guy teach about it. Set your focus there every single day. Live your life knowing that it's real. And when tough times come along, you will know deep in the core of your being that this really is just our temporary home. And have you noticed that the advertising world does its best to keep our focus right here on temporary stuff, go after this, you deserve this. Life will not be complete unless this is part of your experience. And I mean, you totally expect that from marketing, right? It's their job. But here's the really surprising thing to me. And I'm not a go on a rant kind of guy, but I just need to get something off my chest for just a minute here. There is some teaching out there in the big C church that fuels this kind of thinking as well. Some refer to it as the health, wealth, gospel, or prosperity theology. And this is the point of view you hear on a lot of religious television where some televangelists will promise you perfect health and financial prosperity for anybody that asks for it in true faith or claims it by their authority and buys their book for $13.99. They say that the only thing blocking you from being wealthy, the only thing blocking you from living the good life, the only reason you might be sick or disabled or going through a hard time is either a lack of personal faith or the presence of some unconfessed sin in your life. And gang, I have all kinds of trouble with this teaching. If it's always God's will to heal immediately, what about the Apostle Paul? He prayed for, as he, as he called it, some thorn in the flesh to be removed. And the answer kept coming back from God. No, just hang in there. Just hang in there. My grace is sufficient for you. If God always blessed obedience with worldly riches, then why did John the Baptist literally lose his head in a prison cell? Why is history full of martyrs who gave up their life for their unshakable faith in Jesus Christ? Men like Peter and Andrew and James and all the other apostles all eventually executed for their faith. 
except for John, who was dipped in hot oil and exiled to die on a criminal's island. What about Stephen, who was stoned to death in broad daylight? What about those people, those families talked about there in Hebrews chapter 11, who suffered in unimaginable things because of their faith? Didn't they have enough faith? Maybe they didn't claim their rightful inheritance to prosperity and health. No, it says they saw themselves as foreigners, as nomads here on this earth. I've always loved the words of C.S. Lewis when he says, it's, it is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they've become so ineffective in this one. Aim at heaven, you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you'll get neither. Just saying live with an eternal perspective. Don't live like this is it. Don't buy into teaching that keeps all your focus and all your hopes right here. I think Paul had it right in Philippians chapter one when he says, for me, for me, means living for Christ. That's what living is. Dying, well, that'd just be even better. But if, if, if I live, you know, I can do more fruitful work for Christ, so I, I, I don't really know what's better. I'm kind of torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. Now, I don't think that Paul was romanticizing death as he wrote that from a prison cell, and neither should we romanticize death, and we certainly don't have the right to ever take it into our own hands. But those who know Jesus should realize that, that death is a gateway to never-ending joy. That through the cross and resurrection, death has been repossessed and hope took over the payments. Can you see the shore? In AD 125, a Greek investigative reporter named Aristides wrote to a friend about this new thing called Christianity, explaining why this new religion was catching on so quickly. And this is what he wrote. If any righteous man among the Christian passes from this world, they rejoice and offer thanks to God. And then they escort his body with songs and thanksgiving as if he were setting out from one place to another nearby. If you've ever attended the funeral of someone who deeply knew Jesus, you know what a celebration it was. I mean, there was grief and there were tears and a feeling of loss and some deep heartbreak. But also, there's this amazing aura of hope and unexplainable peace that just makes it a celebration. I, I remember Tony Campolo one time telling about going to a funeral at his church, and they had the casket of the person right down front in front of the stage, and the old pastor stood right by the open casket of a guy named Clarence, and he talked to Clarence about his life. What a great life he'd had, what a legacy he left, how he touched the lives of countless people. And then he took one hand and put it on the lid of the casket and said, Clarence, I got one more thing to say to you. Good night. And he slammed the lid shut. And then he turned to the crowd and he said, but the Lord is going to give him a good morning. The Apostle Paul writes, for, so we are always confident, even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we're not at home with the Lord. For we live by believing and not by seeing. Yes, we are fully confident. And we would rather be away from these earthly bodies. For then we'll be at home with the Lord. I drove by a church one day and saw this sign out in the front yard of the church. It said, honk if you love Jesus. Text while driving if you want to meet him. And like you, I, I drove by, I chuckled, that's kind of funny. And then the more I drove, honestly, it kind of embarrassed me. Now, of course, we should never text and drive. But you know what? Sometimes we act like meeting Jesus would be like a bad thing. And that is so radically different 
than the way the early Christians felt. And maybe it's because they had to suffer more for their faith, a lot more than we have. I mean, when you, you might become a torch for Nero's garden party, or you might become a snack for a hungry lion just so people could be entertained, maybe you long for heaven a lot more. Or maybe it's because they knew the temporary nature of this world and the futility of stockpiling stuff and chasing fame. So they just long for the day. They long for the day when they would meet Jesus face to face. You know, almost all of those old spirituals like Swing Low, Sweet Chariot, those all grew out of suffering. Slaves and mistreated sharecroppers longed for justice, a, a better place, so they sang about their real home. And the people who sang those songs would pray that someday courageous people of faith would rise up and put a stop to the gross unfairness, but they also knew that someday because of Jesus Christ, all the evil, all the injustice, all the heartbreak and suffering that touched their lives would be compensated. They could see the shore, and they kept swimming toward it. They, like many of us, hung on the words of Jesus in Luke chapter six when he said, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hunger, who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh someday. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. Randy Elkhorn writes in his excellent book on heaven, he says, we will enjoy the magnificence of our God in his heaven, not merely in spite of all we've suffered here, we'll enjoy it all the more because of all we've suffered here. The truth is, gang, suffering in this world changes our perspective in the next. I mean, how much better is life gonna be then? You see, without an eternal perspective, we assume that people here who die young or have disabilities or suffer poor health or live homeless who never find the love of their life or couples that, who are never able to have children will miss out on the best life has to offer. That is super flawed theology because it assumes, again, that this current life is all that there is. Uh, once again, a, a favorite C.S. Lewis quote of mine, they say of some temporal suffering, oh, no future bliss can make up for this, not knowing that heaven once attained will work backwards and turn that agony into a glory. Every agony, every pain, every heartbreak, every injustice, every loss will be made right. And not only made right, it will be turned into this unspeakable joy. Life on this cursed earth is not all there is. The book of Revelation talks about a new heaven and a new earth, a forever kind of place. And the God of all things new won't feel satisfied until every sin, every evil, every pain, every sorrow, every heartbreak, every thorn, every hardship is absolutely reversed. And the earth will not merely be put out of its misery. Christ will infuse it with far greater life. And it will become at last all God intended for it to be. And it will be a forever kind of place can you see the shore now I think there's all kinds of misperceptions about eternal life so many people have mistakenly pictured eternal life to be this uh, you know float around the clouds and wear your new set of angel wings and you get a harp and a hymn book and that's pretty much what you do for eternity I saw this cartoon remember the far side cartoon comic strip I love this cartoon where the guy said dang I wish I brought a magazine 
Like that's all we're gonna do, just sit around in a cloud for, for eternity. Now my understanding of scripture is that eternal life will mean enjoying forever in our new, totally recognizable, perfect bodies what life on this earth at its, at its finest times one million offers us. And an existence in this spectacular place created for God's glory and God's enjoyment. We're gonna be free to be all that we were created to be and the earth is gonna be free for all it was created to be, all it was meant to be with God at the very center of it. In fact, in the, in the Roman catacombs, where those persecuted Christians would hide to worship, they would, they would worship among the graves of the martyred, they uncovered these pictures on the walls portraying what they thought heaven was gonna be like. And you know what it looked like? It looked like earth at its best, with beautiful landscapes and children playing and people hanging out and feasting at banquets. The new heaven and the new earth means that the best parts of this world will carry over to the next with none of the bad. One of my favorite songs, that old song by Louis Armstrong, and I think to myself, what a wonderful world. Know that song? And I, and I like looking at life that way. I really do, even in the midst of a pandemic. I try, I'm trying to live with a heart of gratitude because all around us, gang, God gives us every day little glimpses of his eternal goodness. But you know what the reason flowers are so beautiful? It's because God is beautiful. The reason rainbows are stunning is because God is stunning. The reason mountains are majestic is because God is majestic. The reason the love feels so great is because God is love. He is such a lavish giver. So just think about this for a moment. If this present life can be so beautiful and so wonderful, even while this planet is so broken, just imagine what it will be like when all creation is made perfect and we can enjoy it forever in these flawless, never wear out bodies. Can you see the shore? And we're not gonna be sitting around on a cloud. We're not gonna be lying in a hammock for eternity. Now, if you really enjoy that, go for it. But there's gonna be things to accomplish there. There's gonna be challenges to take on and projects to complete. We're gonna work and we're gonna create and we're gonna express, but catch this, we're gonna do all that completely unhindered. We will know the deep satisfaction of serving each other. And I don't know about y'all, but I can't wait. I can't wait to, 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 to serve people that I've never had a chance to serve in this life. I mean, can you imagine like taking pizza over to Mother Teresa's place? You go, hey, you sit right there, okay? Let me serve you. You want some more Diet Coke? Yeah. Oops, my bad. No need for Diet Coke here, right? It, it'll be my eternal honor and joy to meet those slaves and to meet those martyrs and those abused children and just make every day count for them. We're gonna get to lift people up forever to catch a glimpse of heaven. We just need to take a closer look at, the, at this beautiful earth and imagine what it once was and what it will be again. Paradise lost will be paradise regained. A new world without a hint of evil. Nothing to tarnish the beauty. Nothing to hinder the travel where every tongue and every tribe and every nation will be one family without fears, without prejudice, without barriers. Oh, can you see the shore? You might love movie trailers. You like to go to the movie early to catch all the trailers. The, I, I like it too. I, I like to get there uh, to catch a little glimpse of you know, coming attractions. Now in reality, once you see the movie, it wasn't as good as the trailer and you walk away pretty disappointed, uh, but not so with God. The good things we love about this life, the things that resonate deep in our soul, those things that fill us with excitement, those things that we love best about this life, guess what? They're just previews of coming attractions.
Check out what it says in 2 Corinthians 5, I love it. We've been given a glimpse of, our real, of the real thing, our true home, our resurrection bodies. The Spirit of God whets our appetite by giving us a taste of what's ahead. Man, I love that. He puts a little heaven in our hearts so that we'll never settle for less. He puts a little heaven in our hearts, just a little glimpse, so we'll never settle for less. Gang, as good as this life can be, and it can get really, really good sometimes, it's still just a preview of coming attractions. The Bible says this hope, this living hope, will not disappoint. Listen to me. There's coming a day where every day of your life is going to be full of joy and fulfillment and purpose and passion and accomplishment, a place where all the things we love to do is going to be unhindered by evil or impurity because those things will no longer exist, no more wrestling with temptation because evil will be history. It's a place where all of our inner longings will be fulfilled because the best thing about this new heaven and the new earth, God will be there. John writes this in the Revelation. He says, I heard a loud shout from the throne. Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with him and he will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain all these things are gone forever. Oh, can you see the shore? A bunch of little kids were asked, what's so great about heaven? <laughs> a little six year, five-year-old girl said, well, in heaven there are streets of gold, and you can play right out in the middle of them without anybody running over you. A little six-year-old boy said this, oh, you can play with wild animals there. I'm going to ride me an octopus. I thought, so am I, man. What a great idea. And then I'm going to ride a giraffe, and they're going to ride a shark. But right after I go hug the lamb, it's going to be so incomparably perfect and permanent and pain-free. Listen, some of you live with physical pain every day of your life. But there's a day coming when your body will be pain-free. It's going to be flexible, and you won't need to go to yoga to make it flexible. You're going to be quick again. You're going to be fit. You're going to be perfect. No need for counting calories or carbs. No glasses, no hearing aids, no wheelchairs, no artificial limbs, no arthritis, no HMO hassles, new bodies. Some of you live with emotional pain every day of your life. But listen, there will be no grief in heaven, no struggles with depression or anxiety, no painful memories, no flashbacks, no withdrawal, no nightmares, no baggage, no broken hearts, no tears. 60 seconds after we die, we can throw away our calendars and our Kleenex. I love standing in airport terminals watching troops like get re reunite the family. Isn't that fun? We see a troop come, come home and the kid runs up and hugs you, daddy or mommy or whatever. Just imagine what heaven's going to be like. And what a reunion. I, I want to just kind of watch some of you get reunited to your loved ones. And there, there are so many friends and family I want to see again. I fully expect to tee it up again on the golf course with my grandfather. And, and, I, and I'm, 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 I'm not even going to have a slice. And if I do, it won't matter. Uh, I'm, I'm going to see my parents again, and they're healthy and, and right minds. So many friends from churches through the years that, that we've served with. And, and we're going to get to come together from every nation and worship the one who made it all possible. The wise man wrote in Ecclesiastes 3, he said, God has planted eternity in the human heart. But here's what I think. I don't think it takes a wise man to figure that out. I think we all know the human heart longs for more than this place. Our heart yearns for more when the person we've loved for 20 years spins on their heels and walks out the door. 
our soul longs for another place when we hear about another school shooting or some little boy, some little girl that's been trafficked. Our mind desperately reaches for more when our highest intelligence still can't keep our friends from dying from cancer or COVID or ALS. I mean, it's hard to feel at home in a not forever kind of place, isn't it? But you know what? That's actually a good thing. It was Augustine who said, and I got this written in the margin of my Bible, the only ultimate disaster that can befall us, I have come to realize, is to feel ourselves to be at home on this earth. He's just saying it would be a tragic thing to settle for this. It'd be a tragic thing to settle for the stuff that's only temporary. I like the way Max Licato puts it. He says this. I've always loved it. Take a fish. Place him on the beach. Watch his gills gasp and his scales dry. Is he happy? No. How do you make him happy? Do you cover him with a mountain of cash? Do you get him a timeshare and a beach chair? Do you bring him a copy of Playfish magazine and a martini? Do you wardrobe him in double-breasted fins and people-skinned shoes? Of course not. You put him back in his element. You put him back in the water. He will never be happy on the beach because he was not made for the beach. And friends, you and I were made for a forever kind of place. And this is our temporary home. I'm a foreigner here. I'm a stranger here because I was made for a forever kind of place. I'm a groaner here. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a struggler here because I was made for a forever kind of place. I'm a wanderer here. I'm a dreamer here. I'm a nomad here because I was made for a forever kind of place. I'm homeless here. I'm longing here because I was made for forever kind of place. This world is not my home. And he puts a little bit of heaven in our hearts so that you and I will never settle for less. Oh, we will have some incredible highlights here. We will have some moments here of absolute ecstasy, but it's nothing compared to where we're going. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind at its creative best can conceive of what God has cooked up for those who love him. Oh, can you see the shore? And I'm just guessing some of you right now are in the fog. And you just want to quit swimming. I'm here to tell you this weekend, don't, don't. We're almost there. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, our living hope. Live your life with an eternal perspective. Walk by faith, lean into his strength. Love your family, love your neighbors, love your enemies. Be a light while you're here. Make a difference with your one and only life until the day that we all get to go to our real home. Let's bow our heads and pray for a moment. I just wanna say to you, man, you just gotta be there. I can't imagine heaven without some of you. And all of us can be there through, the, through a relationship with Jesus Christ. What those folks did last weekend, what many are planning on doing, saying, so you know what, I believe that Jesus Christ is the forgiver of my sin, he's the leader of my life, I'm ready to plunge my past and walk with him and I wanna live with him every day. That could be you right now to have your name registered in heaven, to know as you walk through this earth to go, hey, I, I, I'm, I'm already signed up for my real home and I can't wait to get there someday. And while I'm here, I'm gonna try to take as many people with me as possible. Father, thank you for making it real. Thank you for reminding us over and over and over that this is not our real home. I pray that we would walk by faith, that we would focus our thoughts on what is unseen 
in what is eternal and not get so bogged down by the stuff of this life that we would live with an eye on heaven and we get, kind of get earth thrown in. Father, I, I pray that we would live with a different perspective this week, that we would see our real home, we would see the shore, and we'd keep swimming even though it's hard right now. And I thank you for the living hope that is ours through Jesus Christ, and I pray it in his name. Amen.